Scripture reading will be Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and then verse 16. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is so good to see you. If you would, open your Bibles to the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians is a book inspired of the Holy Spirit during the heat of controversy. It was one of the earliest controversies the people of God had to face. And really what it all boils down to is this. Are Jesus and his gospel enough? Are Jesus and his gospel enough? And believe it or not, there were people then, and I guess there are people now that answer no. Are Jesus and his gospel enough? Paul was dealing with teachers of false teaching who were having a large influence on Christians throughout the churches of Galatia. And what they were saying is this, Jesus and his gospel are sufficient for initially coming to God. But we need to let people know that Jesus and his gospel, plus circumcision for Gentile males and observing parts of the law of Moses are necessary for people to remain faithful to God. And they would talk about the long and glorious history of Israel with God and how important it would be to be able to connect with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to be able to connect with them through circumcision and through keeping parts of the law as they did over the years, Paul saw this as a threat to the very purity and beauty of the gospel of Jesus. Now here's what some of the teachers might have been saying about Paul. They'll say something like this, if I can be the devil's advocate one of these teachers from the early years. You know, Paul, he's really strong on grace. But he's not as strong as he ought to be on the law. He's strong on grace, but maybe not as strong as he ought to be on holiness. And the rules and the laws that we are trying to encourage people to keep are all in place because we want people to think about their growth and their holiness. 
if Paul has his way that Jesus and his gospel are enough, then it's going to open the doors to all kinds of sinful behavior in the church. Because while Paul is strong on grace, he's not as strong as he ought to be on the nature of God's will and the need to respond in obedience to God's laws. Now that's probably what they were saying. We don't know exactly what they were saying, but we can get the vibes. We can get a really good idea by reading the six chapters of Galatians. And something to that effect was what they were saying. Now here's what Paul would say by way of response. He would quote Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. He would say, the just shall live by faith. He quotes that passage in Galatians 3 and verse 11. He quotes that passage in Romans 1 and verse 17. Paul is not soft on sin or holiness or the will of God though he is strong on the grace of God. Here's what Paul would say. If God and the gospel are enough to get us saved, why aren't God and the gospel enough to keep us faithful, to keep us saved? And you know, that's a pretty good question to contemplate. Why is something else like the law of Moses, whether in part or mostly, or even in its totality, why is it necessary? He would say something like this, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8 and verse 2. Far from being an advocate of lawlessness, Paul stresses the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He would say Christ is the end of the law to all who become righteous through belief in him. Romans 10 and verse 4. Now what we're going to do tonight is look at Galatians 5 and the first 12 verses. In the first two chapters of Galatians, he had said, the gospel that I'm preaching, the message you're hearing from me, well that message is a message I received from God himself. I didn't get it from anybody else. I certainly didn't imagine it. It didn't come up as in my mind. I didn't conjure it up. I received it from God. Just like the other apostles. In chapters 3 and 4, he defends the gospel. 
And he's saying it is enough. Jesus and his gospel are enough. And here's a good way of looking at it. Is the love of God enough? Is the sacrifice of Jesus enough? Is the gift of the Holy Spirit enough? Are the promises of God as seen through Jesus enough? And if the answer to those questions is yes, then why are we having this discussion about circumcision, a medical procedure for Gentile males who become Christians, and about the law itself? Okay? And so he applies the gospel to everyday life in Galatians chapters 5 and 6. And he relates the gospel of Jesus to faithfulness and good works in these chapters. Now, Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 12. Really what he's doing is giving a comparison and contrast between these false teachers and what they are saying that's having way too much influence on these young Christians throughout Galatia and Jesus and his gospel. But what he's going to do in Galatians 5, 1 through 12 is this. Here's what you are going to be losing if you continue to listen to them if they have great influence over you and you start to believe and practice what they're saying, here's what's going to happen. And he uses three images, three pictures. The first picture is in Galatians 5 and verse 1. It's part of the passage read for us by our brother Carl a little bit ago. The picture is that of a slave. If you think that circumcision and aspects of obeying the law, the Old Testament law, are involved in Christianity, you have become a slave. For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not be again entangled in a yoke of bondage. The image is that of a slave, and you have lost your freedom. That's what he says. Keep looking at the text. Back in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, he had spoken of the Old Testament, the law, as a tutor, a schoolmaster. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 22, he had spoken of the law as enslavement. One by a slave woman, one by a free woman in that allegory that we discussed this morning. A tutor, a schoolmaster with a temporary purpose. 
It made us aware of sin, the law did. But it didn't give us the solution to sin. It pointed to the ultimate solution in Jesus. Galatians 3, verse 16. So these terms are not particularly endearing. You go back to circumcision and various aspects of the law, you lose your freedom. Turn to Acts 15, verses 10 and 11 in your Bible. Acts 15, verses 10 and 11. And hear what Peter writes. The apostle Peter would say in Acts 15, 10 and 11 representing the thinking of the leaders of the early church, the apostles especially. Acts 15, 10, and 11. Notice verse 9. God made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Christ died and he redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law making us aware of how awful sin is, but the law not giving us the ultimate solution in itself to the problem. That was Galatians 3.13. The image of the slave and you lose your freedom. Now look at verses 2 through 4. Here's another image. The image is that of a debtor. You lose your freedom and become a slave if you want to go by what these teachers are saying. Not only that, you lose your wealth and become a debtor if you leave Christ and His gospel by adding these things the false teachers are saying. Go with me through verse 6 here. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, catch this, all of the financial terms, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Secondly, if this is the route you want to go, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to take the whole law. Mark that. You cannot just pick and choose what aspects of the law you want to do. Kind of like these teachers were doing. One is obligated to keep the law in its entirety. James 2, verses 9 through 11. 
Keep reading the passage. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. That's serious. No advantage to you. Jesus is of no advantage to you. You're obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ. And you have four fallen away from grace. That's what the passage says. Nothing needs to be added to Jesus and his gospel. Jesus and his gospel are enough. Sufficient. We are complete in him. Paul would write in Colossians 2.10, you can't add something to Jesus and the gospel without diluting Jesus and the gospel. You can't subtract from the message of Jesus without diluting the message. A question that keeps going through my mind is this. What really matters? What really counts? And what these teachers were saying is, yes, Jesus counts, and the gospel of Jesus counts, but circumcision counts too. And observing various holidays under Judaism counts too. Friends, there are some things that we ought to hold to with great tenacity and courage and backbone and never give up. But there are other things. Does this really count? Does it really matter? And these teachers were willing to say that about circumcision and the law of Moses but they were unwilling to really be consistent and keep all the law. You follow me? Now look at verses 5 and 6. Having talked about the way that these false teachers were trying to allure Christians away from Jesus and the gospel, notice what he says about standing fast. In Jesus, and not submitting again to a yoke of slavery. Remember when Jesus gave the great invitation, he said something like this Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Take my what upon you, yoke, and learn of me. He would say, My yoke is easy. My burden is they were putting a yoke and burden on early Christians that Jesus and the gospel didn't. And that's what Peter was getting at in Acts chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. And it's what Paul is getting at here in the book of Galatians. Now, verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. 
We await for that time when we will be in the presence of our righteous God forever. There's a sense of eager anticipation. Notice what he says. He says, go back here to verse 3. Verse 2, rather. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You know what he's saying? Jesus and circumcision are are mutually exclusive. They don't mix. If you're going to try to say that circumcision is absolutely required, Paul wants people to know if that's what they're saying, Jesus and circumcision don't mix. They are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. It's either one or the other, Steve. That's what Paul's saying in verse 2. But notice what he's saying in verse 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. If you're going to try to say it's essential to salvation, you couldn't be more wrong. It's either Jesus or circumcision. It's not both. But circumcision or uncircumcision ultimately is irrelevant. That's what verse 6 is saying. What counts is being in Christ through faith. That's what counts. Paul would be the first to say that the law, the Old Testament, had its day. But the day is gone. A new era has come. The Christian age with the last will and testament being declared by Peter and the apostles in Acts 2 initially. Look again at Galatians 5. And now notice verses 7 through 12 with me. We've looked at what they lose. Verse 1. They lose their freedom and become again enslaved. Then verses 2 and following through verse 6, they lose their wealth and become debtors again. Unable to keep the law and yet accountable to keep the whole law. Now look, if you will, at verses 7 through 12. The image is that of a runner. And here's what the runner loses. You're a runner who's lost your balance and your way. A person who looks to law too much is like a runner who has lost their balance and way. Look at verse 7. 
Who did hinder you from obeying the truth? And it's really interesting. Who tripped you up? Who caught you off balance? Who has so bewitched you and got you under their spell that you, you've lost your way? Who's done this? And here they were saying that Paul was soft on sin and holiness and obedience. Who did hinder you from obeying the truth? See how Paul words it? You did run well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Does that sound like Paul is soft? On truth, on holiness, on obedience. But here's what Paul would say. The just shall live by faith. Our love and trust and humility toward Jesus shows itself in our actions as we seek to please God. How right He is. And what were these false teachers saying by their words and actions? It was an indictment against God's promise, the cross of Jesus, the greatness of God's grace, and the power of faith, not good enough. Now, what's happening is these circumcisers had cut in, pun intended, and tripped up a number of these Christians, so much so that they had lost their way now look at verse 8. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Wherever these people got this idea, it didn't come from God. Paul writes. And then he likens their influence to leaven. Leaven. And how it spreads. How it expands. The influence these people have had as teachers is not good and they have been allowed to expand too much already. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now notice what he goes on to say in verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. Ultimately, the truth of God will win out. He wants to believe that. Even though he had said earlier in the chapter prior, I have concern lest I have labored in vain for you and with you. He doesn't think that it's going to all come to an end and that these people are going to embrace error and leave Jesus in the gospel, but they're being influenced. In 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 17, the Bible likens sin to gangrene. Think of an illness 
that progressively worsens and consumes. Paul saw this teaching as a soul sickness that could consume Christians if it were not dealt with. I have confidence that whoever's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Whoever's saying this and whatever the source is, where they came from, what they're saying is wrong. And he's saying, please listen to me, God's people. Look at verse 11. He calls these people brethren. If I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Think about that question. Paul could have avoided an awful lot of grief had he just capitulated. Because the vast amount of the persecution that he suffered as an apostle came from whom? The Jews. And came from the Romans who were instigated to persecute him by the Jews. It would have made his life a whole lot easier if that's what he had preached. And what he is saying is this. I have not been able to avoid persecution by these people because I have stood up for the purity and beauty of Jesus and his gospel. And they are trying to avoid any kind of backlash from the Jews. They're trying to avoid persecution. Now, it's not often you get something said so Firmly, but look at verse 12. It says at the end of verse 11, the offense of the cross has been removed. Why? Because the law of Moses with circumcision and its aspects are being elevated again. But now look at verse 12. This is where it's PG 13 in the lesson, but it comes out of Scripture. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. These people are so into putting the knife on folks and the surgical procedure and the law, and as a result, they are enemies of God and they are enemies of God's people trying to enforce their way of thinking on others. Maybe they ought to just drop their knife and experience a little bit of pain themselves. Paul opposes this error so strongly because he sees it for the grave error and wrong that it is. He's not just fighting for a matter of opinion. 
he sees the nature of the gospel of Jesus being at stake. I have known of a lot of people, including not a few Christians, who are really willing to fight over their opinions and their, their judgments in matters of judgment. I've never held a view I didn't think was right. Do you? You hold any views you don't think are right? But there are some things that really count. And to compromise them results in the loss of Jesus and the gospel. That's what Paul saw these teachers as being guilty of. Let us pray. God in heaven, may we see with renewed freshness and fervor and thoughtfulness that your son and your gospel will always be enough. That nothing can be added or taken from Jesus and his gospel without diluting it. Your plan is perfect. In Jesus, all of your promises become reality. In Jesus, we are made free. In Jesus, we are made rich. And in Jesus, we don't have to stumble or lose our balance because He is the way, the truth, and the life. Help us not to only oppose that which handles your will loosely and doesn't consider your holiness and your righteousness properly. Help us to hate that when we see it and when it exists in our own lives, but help us also to hate making our will on a level with yours and making our opinion law. Help us to truly believe and practice that Jesus and his gospel are enough. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven by those who love you and who are devoted to you in humble living and who want only to please you. In Christ's name, amen. And really, when you come to the end of this section, it's all about this. In Jesus, there's radical freedom and liberty. But in Jesus, there's radical slavery, too. 
What do you mean by that, Brother Mike? There's great liberty in Jesus and freedom. But there's a freedom not from responsibility and good works. But a freedom to lovingly and humbly seek to please the Lord as His servants. Willingly, lovingly, devotedly. He's our king. And oh, we dearly love him. He's our king. No other is above him. All day long, in rapture, joyful praise we sing. He's our savior. He's our king. If you need to respond to the savior and king, the lesson is yours. Let us stand and sing.